Let's open to Galatians chapter 2 in your Bibles or pull that up on your phone. Uh, We're going to be in Galatians 2, verses 15 to 21 uh, this morning, a shorter passage of Scripture, uh, a really, really, really important passage of Scripture that's going to um, teach us about the, 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 the incredible truth that we are justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone. And, and Paul will help us understand what justification by faith means uh, to see our lives transformed. And so a really uh, important passage this morning. Um, I have uh, titled the passage, Believing Rightly, uh, Living Rightly. Believing Rightly leads to living rightly. And I think, I think you would agree with this. I don't think I have to make a case for this, but the reality is like, if you wanna know what I believe and what my values are, just look at my life. And the way that I live my life and the choices that I make will tell you what I believe. But, but the crux of how we live our lives is determined by our values, our beliefs. And so uh, Paul will help us understand this uh, biblically today in terms of what it means to live in the freedom and the fullness of God's grace, uh, that believing rightly is the, is the foundation. And then we understand that that grace empowers us uh, from there. I want to ask a question uh, just to kind of get started. I want you um, just to consider this question. Uh, what causes people, what do you think causes people uh, to think that God is sometimes really angry with them and sometimes God is really pleased with them? Uh, perhaps we could personalize this question. What makes you think that God is sometimes angry with you and then sometimes God is uh, pleased with you? Um, consider that question. I would like to answer the question simply for you. Um, that struggle, that belief, that situation of believing that God's posture towards me is good when I'm behaving good and doing good and his fellowship is removed from me when I am stumbling, falling, uh, having a rough season, acting, choosing things that are inconsistent with what I say I believe. Uh, The reason why people, perhaps you struggle with that, uh, is this, wrong believing, wrong theology. Uh, That is why we get stuck in those ways of thinking. Believing wrongly, hear this, that that your behavior, my behavior is more powerful. It is bigger and more powerful than God's love, than his grace and his mercy and his his promises to you. It's believing wrongly about that, that maybe my behavior is powerful enough to move God's posture away from me when I am stumbling, falling. Believing wrongly that God's behavior is moved by our own behavior. Um, I just wanna say to you guys this morning, God is not angry with you. And I'm saying that plurally, but I'm probably speaking to someone in particular. And so when I say this, I mean you. Like God is not angry with you. Are we prone to wander? Yes, we're prone to wander. We sang this song last week and God is prone to chase us with his love and his grace and his mercy and his shalom. Uh, Lindsay um, told me the story. This happened years ago, uh, but she uh, was getting her hair done. And Lindsay is one of the most magnetic people that I know. And she's so winsome and she's so relational and she's such an includer. And so she doesn't just go get her hair cut. She's gonna be friends with the person cutting her hair by the end. It's just the way things go. Uh, with her. And so she gets into a conversation with someone that she didn't know beforehand, and she finds out that the stylist uh, was a Christian and that she grew up in church. 
Um, but she made this statement to Lindsay, I don't even want to read my Bible anymore. Well, that's, that's interesting. I'm a Christian. I grew up in church, so I don't even want to read my Bible anymore. And then she said, my husband and I messed up before we were married, and I am petrified that God is going to kill him. When we do well by our own estimation, when we think wrongly that God moves toward us when we behave rightly and he moves away from us, even punishes us when we behave wrongly, when we do well by our own estimation, we expect to be blessed by God. But when we fall short and we fail, we heap on ourselves guilt and condemnation and we expect God to punish us. You see, when we live under the law, punishment is connected to law. And so we do, oftentimes as Christians, we, we do the punishment on ourselves and we, we struggle with self-condemnation and self-abasing thoughts and we remove ourselves even from fellowship with God when God doesn't remove himself from you because your sin is not more powerful than God's grace. And I'm here to tell you today, he's not mad at you. That he chases you and he loves you and he embraces you and he welcomes you home every single day time. A problem in churches, ministries, discipleship, but the problem isn't with pure law. You're not going to show up at a church, a Christian ministry, and you're not going to get like pure mosaic Levitical law. They're not going to open up the Levitical law and say, you got to do all this. That's not what happens in Christian churches. What happens is mixing the old covenant law with the new covenant of grace. And when you mix New covenant law or old covenant law with new covenant grace, you don't get pure grace, you get law. And when we get law, we come under punishment and we get mixed up and we get stuck and we miss out on uh, all the promises of abundant life and freedom and joy and peace and forgiveness. Um, The problem, again, that Paul addresses in the book of Galatians, and uh, I wanna just keep this in front of us every week, is that uh, false teachers came to the churches in Galatia and they were teaching the believers there that they had to add, add circumcision to Jesus to belong in the church, to have acceptance before God and belong in the church. Now we could add a lot of things to circumcision, but the, the, the general reality is this, they were adding Moses to Jesus and they were calling that the gospel. And Paul says, that's a false gospel. That's a totally different message. That is not, you don't add the law to Jesus and call it good news. That actually is called bondage. Um, And he actually says this, and he'll say this later in in, in the book, that when we add traditions, rules, expectation, requirements onto Jesus to belong and to be accepted in the church of God into our churches, he says, you're putting people under a curse when we do that. When you add things to the all sufficient work of Jesus, you put people under a curse. Um, I, think, I think many of us, when I, when I hear testimonies, many of us are, are understanding and we're leaning in and we're wrestling with what does it look like for me to be free from a legalistic mindset around being a Christian and following Jesus? Uh, and many people struggle with that. And I would say simply, if, if you want to, to step, step into some new freedom, we have to stop mixing law and grace. We have to stop mixing law and grace. And we have to understand and believe rightly about the pure grace of Jesus and in how pure grace empowers our lives. 
from there. Uh, I would say it this way. If you want to be for law, you got to be for law completely. Like if you're going to be a, like, I'm going to live under the law, then you got you to go all the way. And if you're going to go with Jesus, if you're going to go with grace, then, then go all the way with grace completely, even if it makes you feel like, man, this is too good to be true news. This feels like we gotta, there's some, you got to do something, right? Uh, but I think what Paul is trying to convey to us in the book of Galatians is, is make your choice. You got to go all law or all grace, and we got to stop mixing the covenants because that is not the true uh, gospel. Um, I've heard this statement before, maybe you have as well, and the phrase is this, we need to balance grace with truth. Because you know what, if we, like if people just get too much grace, danger zone, right? Like if you give people too much grace, they're going to take advantage of grace. They're gonna presume upon grace. And so we've gotta balance when we talk about the grace of Jesus and the gospel, we gotta make sure that we're giving people boundaries. We gotta make sure that we're giving people this balance of grace and truth. And here's the fear in that. Here's the fear in that statement. The fear in that statement is that people, they will, they will, they will go and live any way that they please. Oh, radical forgiveness, oh, total, complete, whole forgiveness in Jesus, oh. And I'll just go and live any, any way I please. And so that's, that's, that's a tension for people. And ultimately in that perspective, uh, there's not a trust in the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the salvation of God and the Holy Spirit of God in us to transform a person's life. Like we, we don't actually believe that the truth of the gospel, the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us will actually transform someone's life and change how they think, how they believe and ultimately how they live. And so we've got to balance truth with grace. And it comes from, a, I, I, I would say it comes from a sin management perspective. We gotta help people manage uh, their sin uh, so that uh, we don't presume upon God's grace in some way. Uh, I wanna, before we get to Galatians 2, I wanna look at two verses from John 1, the Apostle John uh, 1.14. Because I wanna engage with you on that. We've gotta balance grace and truth. Uh, here's what John says in John 1:14. The word Jesus, the word of God, the logos, Jesus became flesh. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. John says, we have seen the glory of God in Jesus. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word, the Greek word for glory is doxa. It's where we get um, the doxology, right? If you grew up in a more traditional church like me, we always sing the doxology. Doxa is a Greek word that's translated, translated glory. Here's what it means. It means what one is famous for or one's renown. Um, the glory is the essence of a person or a being. And when so John is saying, when the apostle John, when they saw Jesus, when they saw his essence, when they saw his glory, what they saw was grace and truth. Grace and truth. Both, both of those realities is the full glory of Jesus. Now here's what I wanna say about 
grace and truth in Jesus. We don't need to balance Jesus, right? We think we need to balance truth and grace, but here's the reality. The call of the church isn't, Jesus isn't asking us to balance him out. He's asking us to receive the fullness of who he is. And the fullness of Jesus is this. The truth of the matter is that he is full of grace. And so we don't balance Jesus. And so we're not gonna balance teaching truth and grace as if that's some kind of way to help people learn how to behave. Because here's what the gospel tells us. When you receive the fullness of Jesus, your life is gonna be radically transformed. And your desires are gonna change and your wants are gonna change because what you're looking to is different. You're looking to Jesus instead of the world, your flesh, and your own wants and desires. Do we trust in the person of Jesus and his love and his mercy and his grace and in his Holy Spirit to transform us? Or do we need to balance Jesus out? And I'm not here to proclaim that we gotta balance Jesus out. I'm here to proclaim we need to sit under the lavish truth that Jesus is full of grace. And the more we receive it, the more we are transformed. Um, here's John 1.16. This is our vision verse, by the way, um, for our church. Um, this is where we get two rivers from, by the way. That phrase, grace upon grace, that's where we get two rivers church from. This is the vision. This is our hope. This is where we're going. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what we believe. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Emphasis on the word receive. It doesn't say strive for. It doesn't say perform for. It doesn't say go earn. It says, for from the fullness of Jesus, we have received his grace upon grace. That phrase, grace upon grace, can also be translated grace in place of grace. In place of grace, in place of grace, in place of grace. That's what, that's what it means. And here's what, how that practically plays out for, for us. God's grace is never diminished by you receiving more of what Jesus wants to give you, which is more of his grace. There is more grace for you. And it's never diminished in any capacity when you receive more of it. There is an unlimited supply of God's grace in Jesus. You can't sin it away. You can't fall from grace because of sin. It's, that's not a biblical concept. The way you fall from grace biblically is you go back to the law and you're trying to earn righteousness instead of receiving righteousness from Jesus's grace. Like you don't, you don't sin, we don't send grace away. You, you don't diminish it when it's supply, it's supply when you receive it. Grace upon grace, hear this. This truth is the only way any one of us stands before the holy, righteous Father justified. It's the only way any of us stand before God. It's because of the truth of his grace upon grace for us. Um, that phrase, uh, justification by, by, by uh, um, faith, uh, has nothing to do uh, with performing. Justification by faith has everything to do with receiving um, we think about justification. We're justified by faith. If you've done any church history reading or studying, you're thinking of Martin Luther, uh, John Calvin, those guys from the 1500s, right? The protesters, the Protestant protesters, the Protestant Reformation, the great cry of that protest was, we are justified by faith alone in Jesus alone. And they're right. And they are right. Um, they got that from our passage today. 
that great cry of the Protestant Reformation is from our passage today as we finish up chapter two. Um, let me catch you up with the context uh, for, how, for how we ended last week. Any, anytime we study the Bible, anytime we read the Bible, uh, it's really important that we have an understanding of context. Every verse in the Bible is to be read within the context that it was originally written in. And so sentences are written within paragraphs and paragraphs are written within chapters and chapters are written within books. And so it's really, really helpful and important that when we're studying a passage that we don't just rip the passage out of context. We can make the Bible say a lot of things that it doesn't say if we rip it out of context. And so context is king. This is a really important uh, understanding. So context from last week, just to catch you up, is Paul had this really intense um, encounter with the apostle Peter. And they were at Paul's sending church up in Antioch. And the church up in Antioch was full of Gentiles. It was full of non-Jewish followers of Jesus. And so they weren't living under, they hadn't lived under, they were never under the law. They didn't live under all of those Jewish traditions and food restrictions that Jewish people lived under for their whole history that gave them a sacred identity from the Gentiles. And so Peter, if you remember, is stepping into some newfound freedom. You know, it's the new covenant of grace message. It's one church. It's not a Gentile church. It's not a Jewish church. It's a it's a Christian church centered in Jesus. And he's beginning to eat some shrimp scampi, right? And some, and some baby back ribs for the first time in his whole life. He's enjoying the fellowship. He's not like, in, he's not in judgment toward Gentiles. Um, he doesn't hate them. He's like, oh my gosh, these are my brothers and sisters. And by the way, they, these ribs are really good. Who made the barbecue sauce for these things? Right, and you remember, and then some Jewish Christians from Jerusalem come up to Antioch, people from his home church, and they see him and he pulls away from the table. He goes backwards. And not only does he pull back away from the table, which was this beautiful picture of unity and togetherness in Jesus, he separates judging the Gentile believers and he pulls Barnabas and other Jewish people along with him. And Paul says, this is not the gospel. You are acting in a way that is inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. He calls him a hypocrite. It's a very intense scene. Right, Because his behavior, Peter's behavior, was reflecting wrong theology about the gospel. And so Paul confronts him to his face in the moment so that the Galatian churches understand rightly that what Peter was doing was wrong. Right, We are all one in Christ Jesus. So with that in mind, we get to our passage today. We don't really know if our passage today, if Paul was saying these things in front of Peter in the church in Antioch, uh, I tend to, in the study that I've done, I tend to think that Paul is reflecting on that scene, that intense scene in Antioch. He's reflecting on that scene and what happened, and he is gonna give the church now in Galatia in this letter some real understanding about the gospel, about right believing, and then the implications of right believing in terms of how we live our lives. And so this is kind of the, the outline of the morning from, for us from here. Uh, I think this message, 15 to 21, is this in a sentence from Paul to the church. Right believing leads to right living. Right believing leads to right living. Peter's problem was his living reflected wrong belief about the gospel. And so we gotta get centered in what is true about the gospel so that that will empower us to actually live for God in a way that reflects the new covenant message of grace and freedom. You guys ready to get going? Now I wanna say, you guys ready to get going? 
Are we here? 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 Last, ma- I like, I'm teaching a little bit today, but I'm just gonna tell you, I'm also gonna preach a little bit. You know the difference, right? And so you don't have to stay quiet. You don't have to say, if you got an amen or whatever, you know, it's like, it doesn't distract me. So Kenny, I expect to hear from you over there on the side, okay? Uh, or from Ryan right here on the front row. Um, let's read 15 and 16. I just want to tell you that if something's resonating with you, like if you're at a Denver Broncos football game or at a Denver Nuggets playoff game and Jokic whaps a three, you're probably going to be like, yes. You're not going to think about it. But for some reason, church people, we get all like, ah. like you're free, like you're free to hang out and like, you know, have an emotion. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that out loud. Okay, there we go. I like it. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He says, Verse 15 and 16. We who are Jews by birth, he's reflecting on his own life and on the life of Peter. They are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. What he means there is there was a reality that Jewish people saw the Gentiles, not in a behavior morality kind of way, but they didn't have the law. And there was a sacred identity for Jews. And he and Peter grew up Jewish. And Gentiles were seen, not in a behavior way, but just in a truth kind of way, they were Gentile sinners. And there was so much distinct, distinction between the two. And that's how they saw it. And so he's reflecting, as we who are Jews by birth, Peter and I, he said, we know, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law. He, he is not justified. He cannot be justified by observing the law. He's talking about the old covenant Mosaic law. But, but there we are justified by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too, we have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one, no one will be justified. This was the cry of the Protestant Reformation, these two verses. Uh, this, was, this was what they were proclaiming. Um, everything is different now in the new covenant reality of grace. All of the old distinctions were gone. Jewish distinction, Gentile distinction, all those distinctions, all the separators, all that was gone. And Paul is simply saying to the church in Galatians, look, I grew up Jewish and Peter grew up Jewish, Jewish and we're here to tell you that no amount of law keeping is gonna justify any person before the Holy Father. It doesn't matter how good you are or where you are on that spectrum. No amount of law keeping is gonna make a person right with God. Therefore, no man can keep the law perfectly. Therefore, no one is justified by law keeping. I, uh, I, you, you try to think of visuals or analogies about what Paul is saying here. here here's a couple. And every, every example, every analogy like this falls short in some degree. But it's like this. It's like me putting you in a straitjacket. And if I was, I had a, I should have had a white straitjacket and had somebody come up here in one and drop the rope from the ceiling and say, okay, now climb the rope in a straitjacket. Can't be done. Or I just hiked the Grand Canyon last, last month. We did rim to rim to rim, 50 miles. And when you stand on the south rim and you look way over there on the north rim, it's about 24 miles. And you say to someone, okay, to be justified before God, you gotta jump from the south rim and land on the north. It's impossible. It's impossible. That's what Paul is saying. 
It is impossible to stand justified before God by your ability to follow all of the law of Moses. It cannot be done. Here's here's what's critical in our understanding of justification before God. A a true view of justification, a, a true understanding of justification, it is the dividing line between the biblical gospel of salvation by faith alone in Jesus alone and any false gospel that wants to add any tradition, any requirement, any law, any work to Jesus so that you can belong and believe that you are accepted by God. Justification, understanding justified by faith, it is absolutely crucial for us. And it means this, justification simply means right legal standing before God. And the only way that any of us in this room or anyone listening to this or watching this, the only way any human being can stand before the holy, just creator of the universe is this, our sins are wholly forgiven and you have been declared righteous in Christ. If, if we are not wholly forgiven and we have not been declared righteous in Christ, not one of us stands before God. But the truth of the gospel is that in Jesus, we are justified by Christ. Some of us think that like we stand before God and Jesus kind of stands before us and he, the Father sees Jesus and then he sees us and so we stand justified. No. You stand before God sinless, church, because the atonement of the cross of Jesus has taken away your sin. You are wholly forgiven and you are declared righteous before the Father because of Jesus and you stand before God with confidence and you declare the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and you say, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of the Most High King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a true gospel. And it has nothing to do with our behavior, has everything to do with Jesus' behavior and what he has given to us. Christians are way too conscious of our sin and we are way too unconscious of being justified by faith. Jesus didn't die to modify your behavior. Jesus didn't die for you to beat yourself up when you fail. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary to take the sins of the world upon himself and to remove them. I get frustrated sometimes when we sing songs in the New Covenant Church about Jesus and the blood covering our sin. That's an old covenant way of thinking. In the old covenant, goats, sheep brought before the high priest, the blood, and it covered the sin. New Covenant, Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by J the B, right? John the Baptist, love that guy, right? He takes away the sin of the world. Uh, A a messianic um, uh, Old Testament prophecy, Psalm 103, I'm totally off my page right now, uh, says that God takes our sin and he removes it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. Well, why do we always trip around as if God is standing there like this? And until we confess our sin, he doesn't forgive it. It's an old covenant way of thinking. That's what robs you of freedom. That's what makes you think that God is angry with you. It's called wrong believing. We gotta have right believing about what Paul is saying here so that we know that we stand before God justified. Is there a reality of sin in my life? Yes. 
Yes, because I believe the lies of my flesh. I believe the lies of the enemy. I believe the lies of the world. Uh, but I am not imprisoned to my old sin nature anymore. I am empowered by grace to choose and have wisdom and understand and to, to have right believing so that I can live rightly before God. In Christ, we are not under condemnation, which means no one who, who believes and has faith in Jesus is declared guilty before the Father. In Christ, we are not under condemnation, but we are under grace. We have been declared holy, righteous, loved, accepted, forgiven, free. In Christ, we are completely forgiven. We are unpunishable. We are unpunishable. Get that into your theology. In Christ, you are unpunishable. You have been forgiven wholly and completely. You are free in Christ. We stand before God's throne of grace, sinless, not because we have been sinless, but because Jesus' sinless life atoned for our sin and has taken it away. Are you listening right now? This has to, listen, this has to be true or we don't stand before God justified. We are justified by faith in Christ, period. This is right believing. And right believing has implications for our lives. Hallelujah. God's grace wants to transform you. Right believing changes us, transforms us, makes us more like Jesus. That's, what, that's where Paul goes next. It has implications. We're justified by faith. We're justified by faith. Faith for our life. And then we walk by faith because of that. We are following Jesus in his way. So here's, here's the next passage. Let's go back to uh, the outline. 17 to 21. Hear what Paul says. Here's the implication. If... While we seek to be justified in Christ, if we are, if we're seeking to, yes, yes, we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone. If we're seeking to be justified in Christ and it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, if it becomes evident that we're just like, we're just kind of saying yes to Jesus, but really we're just using that as a license to do whatever we want, right? That, that's what he's talking about here. If it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. I would encourage you to put a box around that. Absolutely not, exclamation point. Paul talks about this in Galatians 5. He talks about this in Romans 5, Romans 6. This is so central to Pauline theology. He says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, what did he destroy? Trying to follow the law to be righteous before God, to follow all the rules so that I can stand before God justified. If I rebuild what I destroyed, in other words, if I go back to the law, again, after I'm being justified in faith, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. I prove that I'm living under the law and I'm not living under grace anymore. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God, so that I might live for God. I believe in God. I trust God. I follow God. I wanna live for God. Verse 20, famous verse. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Such an important passage of scripture. So important practically for our lives. When Paul says absolutely not in verse 17, he is he's answering a really good and a really important question. And it's a question that I get often. Uh, and it's a really good question and it's an important question. And we need to ask this question. And here's the question. Are you saying that living in grace means that we get to sin all the more? I think it's a really good question. Is what you're saying when you preach grace and freedom, Paul, Jason, whoever, are you saying, is this really what, that I just go do? And Paul's like, no, absolutely not. That's not, that's not a true revelation of grace. It's actually bondage. Being justified by faith in Christ does not mean that Christ promotes sin. This is the real truth. Coming to faith in Christ delivers you from being enslaved to sin and then transforms you in the way of Jesus. Amen? It delivers us from literally being enslaved to our old nature of sin and then transforms forms us to know Christ, make him known, and to be conformed more and more and more to who he is. We delude, I'm gonna say a a provocative statement, um, but I wrote it in my notes, and so I'm gonna read it to you now. And here's a statement. We delude ourselves if we understand faith in Christ, if we understand grace upon grace means we can live immoral lives. We misunderstand, we delude ourselves. It's not a revelation. We have been freed and, and empowered to walk away from the bondage of sin in our lives, not to stay in it. Christ does not minister sin, church. Christ does not minister sin. Christ eliminates it by his sacrificial work, amen? He eliminates it and he sets you free from its bonds. He empowers us out of it by giving us his Holy Spirit. And so here's the language he uses in this passage about the practical reality of being justified by faith, a grace message, justified by faith. Here's two verses. He says, I died to the law. I died to rule keeping and rule following to be justified. I died to that. I am receiving the glory of Jesus, his grace and truth, his grace upon grace. I died to the law so that I might live for God. I am empowered to live for God. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, faith isn't, uh, I think we get confused sometimes about what biblical faith is and we get tripped up by the churches that we grow up in and we think that faith is praying this like little sinner's prayer when we were like eight years old, right? And that's not in the Bible, sinner's prayer, that whole thing. What saves you is the work of Jesus and your faith in the work of Jesus. It's faith. And faith is more than just a mental assent to something or saying a prayer when we're eight years old. Faith, true faith, authentic faith is a reorientation of our lives because our hearts have been totally made new in Jesus. And when you have a new heart, you have a new way of your heart beating and living forward. That's what grace does. That's what gospel transformation does. It leads us to live for God, to know God, and to live for God. Here's a fundamental change that happened in the new covenant that was really different about people's lives than in the old covenant. In the new covenant, 
the life that we live together as Christians, as people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, our life together is not to be guided anymore by the Mosaic law, Jewish traditions, law, those things. It's not to be guided by those things, not by those restrictions, but by the teachings of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we're guided. That's how we're empowered to know. Um, I think a good description of what good works look like, not like law works that I'm earning to be justified by God, but actually like good works that come out of my new heart and my new life in Christ. A good description of good works that flow from life is, uh, is the fruit of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Like when things like love and joy Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I'm probably missing one or two. When those things begin to show up, it's like, oh my gosh, God's doing a work in me. God's doing a work in me. And there's this phrase at the end of that verse that many of us forget. It's verse 22 and 23 in Galatians 5. Paul says, against these things, there is no law. In other words, you don't, you don't earn these things. These things just show up in your life as you abide in Christ. As we abide in Christ, as we stand in the truth that we are justified by faith in Christ and we begin to follow Christ, we abide in Christ, fruit of the Spirit begins to show up in our life. And these are good works. Paul says in Ephesians that we are called. We are called to love and good deeds. We are, we are the workmanship of God, that God has given us gracious gifts for a godly purpose. Hallelujah. I want my life to matter. I want it to count. But it's not in a law way of thinking to earn God's posture. It's in a response way of what Jesus has given me fully. Is this making sense? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Um, in our concern as a church, Two Rivers Church, in our concern to be people literally full of grace, like that is our concern, it is our hope, it is our prayer, I mean, I pr- that we would be people full of grace upon grace. Don't misunderstand the gospel teachings of Paul. Paul is not against transformation. He is not against the fruit of the Spirit showing up in our lives. What he is against is adding law works to be justified before God and to be accepted before God. And I think it's, it's important. I think it's wisdom. I think it's mature for us to examine, is the truth of the gospel of grace having its full effect and implication in my life. Because a revelation of grace empowers us to maturity and it gives us wisdom on how to live. Those who have been justified live justly. Would you, would you agree with that? Right? Those who have been made righteous begin to live righteous lives. Those who have experienced God's unconditional radical love are empowered to love people. Loved people, loved people, blessed people, blessed people. Those who have been forgiven are empowered to forgive. Not just once, not just seven, not just 70, 70 times seven is what Jesus called us to. So we could truly be free. Those who have died to the flesh live in the spirit. We have to distinguish in our journey of following Jesus, we have to distinguish Law works for life and acceptance. 
We have to distinguish that, which is what Paul is coming against again and again and again in this book. We have to distinguish that from good works that come from our new life in Christ. If we think that our works move God toward us or away from us, that is legalism and that is wrong believing. And it's against the truth of the scripture. Jesus said, nothing, nothing will snatch them out of my hands. Romans 8, there is nothing in all of creation that separates my people from my love. I'll never leave you or forsake you. In other words, when, when you stumble and fall, fellowship with God isn't broken. We're prone to wander. God is prone to chase. He's always pursuing us so that we would know we're forgiven. But when our works are a response to his grace and mercy, when our lives are a response to his grace and mercy, that is real freedom. That is the work of grace changing us from the inside out, making us more like Jesus. Um, So great was the change in Paul's life. Remember what he said in chapter one? I was zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was a persecutor of the church. That's who he was. But because of God's grace that called him to proclaim the gospel, so great was the change, the real tangible change in Paul's life. The only way he can describe it is to say in verse 20 that he has been crucified with Christ. That the man he used to be was now dead. And the living power within him was now Christ himself. The old was gone and the new had come. And then he says in verse 21, it is all grace, church. It is all a work of grace. It is only grace upon grace. Otherwise, Jesus died for no purpose at all. Grace gives you life and sustains your life. Grace is on the front end, it's on the back end, and it's on every end and everywhere in between. It is all of grace, all of time. And we have to stand rightly in that and believe that that work is what transforms our lives. The more we receive it, the more you receive the abundant reality of God's grace and his declaration of righteousness over your life, the more you are transformed. The phrase actually that Paul uses in Romans 5, uh, verse 17, this would be a good one. I should have ended the sermon on this and put it up on the board. Uh, But it says this, when you receive the abundance of God's grace and the free gift of his righteousness, you reign in life. Reign means royalty. Reign means kingdom. Reign means your prince and you're a princess. Reign means that you overcome. Reign means that you, you, you reign over. And the only way that that happens is receiving the abundance of his grace and the free gift of his righteousness. This is the proclamation, church. This is the gospel proclaimed to you this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this church family. Uh, thank you for the privilege it is to be together in fellowship, to devote ourselves once again to the apostles' teaching this really significant and important passage of scripture and to fellowship and to prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to be a family. Um, Thank you for this um, passionate declaration from Paul today for us to believe rightly and this call of Paul to understand 
that believing rightly transforms our lives in the way of the gospel. And so, Lord, we pray that we would surrender to grace and that we would step forward and we would be changed by it. That um, would be liberated from places of lies and struggle and um, sin in our life that trips us up over and over again. I just pray that we would have a fresh faith to receive more today than we've ever received before. In Jesus' name, amen.